Hello, my name is Justin McClure, and I'm here today with Will Sloan. And we have a special guest today, because we're doing a TIFF 2017 Spectacular, and that guest is... Matthew Kumar, everybody! Whoa! Oh, I was hoping it would be George Clooney or some, <laughs> some big celeb. Well, the audio is a little bit weird on this episode, because we're recording live from the floor of TIFF Enterprises. Why, in fact, there's George Clooney right now. Hi, George! <laughs> wow, you can't even tell us apart. It's like a mirror. <laughs> And you know, there's Jessica Chastain walking uh, by in the new Aaron Sorkin Molly's game. You know, these two are such pranksters. They stole our regular microphone, which is why we're using the less good microphone. That you know, those when you get George loose, who knows what'll happen. Wait, who's this that's coming over? Oh man, I think we may have to change the subject of the episode. Could it actually be <gasps> Is it Hello? My name is Arnold Schwarzenegger, and I'm going to terminate you. <laughs> Whoa! Whoa, Arnold, were you in a horrible car crash that affected your voice? <laughs> Listen, Matthew, there is nothing funny about disability. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Matthew, it sounds like... Uh, it sounds like you're body-shaming disabled people. <laughs> no, so I'm voice-shaming disabled people, Arnold. <laughs> so, our subject matter is Arnold Schwarzenegger, because all of us here have seen a bunch of movies at TIFF, and we haven't had time to do too much research on our subject. And we all love the man, don't we? Yeah, we've been saving this one for a rainy day. <laughs> a rainy day when we didn't want to do a lot of work. And Matthew, being a loyal listener, actually emailed me and went, I need to be on the Arnie episode. Why is that, Matthew? Uh, well, I mean, there, our last episode that we did together was, uh, what was it called? Shit that we watched as kids? Yeah. And that was like a really fun episode where I got to like revisit a movie from my past, Jumping Jack Flash, which as everyone knows, and we all agreed, is an amazing movie. Um... <laughs> And Due to legal reasons, we cannot contest it for at this time. <laughs> and the last episode, I heard you guys go, we're going to watch Twins Commando. And I, I was already like writing the email yeah. because Twins was one of those shit I watched as kids movies. And Commando is, you know, sometimes you think about uh, what you would, if you got to do a film screening and how you would come out and you'd pick a film that you loved, you could textualize it for the audience mm -hmm. and you would share something that you loved with people. Commando is always probably my number one film that I would pick to show people because I, not to get too far into the episode, but I just think it's one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. Like it's, it's a, it's a comedy classic. Now, when I was a kid, Arnold Schwarzenegger was what I thought of when I thought of movies for grownups. Lot. Really? Yeah, because he was like a big, serious action guy whose movies had a lot of violence and, and they were rated R and they were for adults. I no longer feel that way, but his, <laughs> but his movies felt very grown up. And when I was allowed to watch True Lies with my dad, that felt like a very like, like I was being allowed into this adult sphere. Arnold Schwarzenegger may have been the most popular star in my household. The tape of Terminator 2 just got run down to nothing. And mm. I've heard that a lot. Like, a friend of mine, uh, Duncan Bruce, he had watched Terminator 2 so much when he was a teenager, he even made his own drawn VHS label, <laughs> that he refuses to watch it now. He's like, I will never watch that movie. I almost choked on it because I watched it so much. I didn't see it till I was a teenager because I wasn't allowed, but I had a Terminator 2 t-shirt, which made me feel really cool because it was an R-rated movie. <laughs> I knew Term no Terminator Two so well that I recently did like a, a pub quiz thing with um with movies we had to, we had to buzz in, and it was audio description. You wouldn't know what the film was, and the audio description just went. She stands in front of a chain link fence, and I was like, Terminator Two, because <laughs> that scene of Linda Hamilton in front of the chain link fence mm -hmm. and the new just burned its way into my brain forever. There's just something about Arnold Schwarzenegger as an actor that's so appealing. And it's weird that I had never seen the thing that really made him a screen star, mm. which was Pumping Iron, mm. yeah. the documentary about his time as a bodybuilder, specifically the like half a dozen times he won Mr. Olympia. Yeah, and this one follows him on his last Mr. Olympia campaign, basically, when he has a hungry new rival in the form of the Incredible Hulk himself, Louis Ferrigno. <laughs> uh, just uh, to add a little facts to this matter, uh, that actually was officially his last, but in 1980, he got so ripped for Conan, he was just like, yeah, let's just do it again, and he won it one more time. So he has, uh, what a guy. He has seven Mr. Olympias. Now that underlines two things about Arnold that this movie uh, is about. One, he's a giant jackass. Yeah. <laughs> and two... Arnold's role in the film and most of the construction of it 
is kind of fictionalized to make it more dramatic. And Matthew was telling me this yesterday because he did a little bit of research into it. So, Pumping Iron has one of the craziest, like, beginnings of a film I can never imagine, which is that the original idea for Pumping Iron oh was God. that the uh, directors were going to take an already established star and turn them into <laughs> star, a bodybuilder. in quotation right? marks. Now, for some reason, the star that they picked to turn into a bodybuilder was Harold and Maude's Bod Court. <laughs> <laughs> now... I, Why not Woody Allen? <laughs> yeah, like... Oh, man. That would have been amazing. So they literally had Bud Court from Harold and Maude like, go to Gold's Gym and work out with Arnold Schwarzenegger a bunch of times. And until eventually Bud Court, who literally looks like he's made out of wet noodles, <laughs> kind of went, this is not the project for me. So apparently they were like, oh, we're kind of fucked now. How are we going to make this movie bodybuilding? And maybe it was him, maybe it was someone else. Maybe it was just a discussion in a room like Arnold kind of was like, why don't we sort of just build a story around the, the bodybuilders you already have and I can play the heel character and Lou Ferrigno, who's like a good, you know, family boy from uh, Brooklyn, can play the, the, the huh. hero, you know? And Arnold Schwarzenegger plays that heel character to the tilt. Well, even if he decided he was going to be the heel, I believe that this is actually how he is. I mean, yes. we're, we're talking about a guy who, you know, grew up in relative poverty in Austria to like a Nazi father. Yeah, and, who would beat him within an inch of his life. And who, with a name like Arnold Schwarzenegger and a very heavy Austrian accent, was able to not only become a seven-time Mr. Olympia, but also the biggest movie star in the world and the governor of California. I That's mean, insane. You can't do that unless you're a piece of shit on some level <laughs> i think it's like fascinating how much like in this movie you, you're kind of to what extent you are kind of still seeing the real arnold of that period and you see to what extent he's so full of confidence because he's won this six six five times in a row by this point he right? doesn't need to he's, win this again he's yeah. the top of the world and also when you look at him he you know they talk about this like making the perfect car you know like getting the mm -hmm. exact you know try to add an extra half mile he has gone to all the effort to make give this himself this perfect symmetry. He's just he's he literally is like carved out of stone. He's just and you can see that he thinks himself as like just the perfect man at this point. He actually talks about himself as if he's a work of art. Like yeah. he talks about how, oh well, I saw that I was a little off in one of my shoulders, yeah. so then I did exercise in my shoulder, you know? But the real fascinating thing is the fact that he not only believes he's the best physically. But that he will go to any lengths to fuck his opponent yes. so he will win. He he gleefully talks about giving phony advices. <laughs> to, which includes telling a competitor that he should scream on stage. Because that's the new thing that <laughs> Americans are doing. Or he has breakfast with Lou Ferrigno uh, where he basically just kind of like... Fuck, mind fucks him. Where, where he's kind of like, you know, I think in, in, a, in a few years you'll be really good. I mean, you know, you know, I think you just peaked too early this year, you know? <laughs> yeah. As if he's like actually concerned about Lou Ferrigno. Yeah, with Lou Ferrigno's whole family. Yeah. And even like... At the end, where, spoiler alert, Arnold Schwarzenegger wins the competition, he's still fucking with Lou Ferrigno on the bus. He's yeah. like, uh, maybe I'll start dating your daughter. Uh, uh, it's sister, kind of awesome when you put it that way. <laughs> yeah. I, one of the most interesting things in this movie was that, you know, me and Justin have watched a lot of canon films with Lou Ferrigno in it by now. Mm -hmm. And when we watched uh, Hercules and a few other things... We were kind of like, wow, you know, Luke Fregno at this period of time looks incredible. Like, mm. he, he, he's so sculpted and he's also so charming in his own way. He's very sweet. And, like, I think that this movie's interesting because when you, when you watch it, like, you, sort of, you see, like, Arnold as this overpowering, like, heel and you see Luke Fregno as this sweet, nice guy. And it, it's the same feeling I have when watching this camera. It's just like, oh, Luke Fregno's so nice. I kind of wish he was more successful, mm -hmm. but at the same time, like you can tell, nice guys don't win. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. well, I know that whenever Arnold's on screen, I'm yeah. riveted by him, and yeah. I'm not riveted by Lou Ferrigno. Yeah, you're, you're you're not riveted by him. You're just like, oh, seems like a nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas like yeah. Arnold, you're like, what a fascinating character. Well, Arnold is otherworldly. Yes, exactly. Like, That's know? what the difference is. Yeah. Like even watching him in Pumping Iron, his accent just has not gone away. It's the same way that he talks there up until to this day. I, well, he's just like such a charismatic guy. Like there's something hyper, he radiates almost. Even a scene like what, you know, the famous one where he's talking about how he's coming day and night. <laughs> yeah. Like somehow it works because it's coming out of him, you know? <laughs> you just get this sense that everything is so easy for him. Yeah. Even though it's obvious that he has had to work so hard, yeah. 
because I don't, I mean, like, I, like, work out to some extent, right? But I don't, like, enjoy it on any level. Yeah. Like, and even though he's talking about how enjoyable it is, like, you see the effort required for even Arnold. Like, it makes him look almost vulnerable when you see him try to lift these things and his, the, the effort in his face to do it. But when he's talking, he has such an easy charm to him. It feels like everything was just handed to him, you know? Like, he's and, just, and like, he's, laying on the grass, like, yeah. sunning. And he's like, yeah. oh, yeah, I will destroy them. But, I mean, I think that's why I don't hate Arnold's, uh, even watching this movie. It's because, like, he did earn this. Yeah. Like, in he, his Machiavellian way. <laughs> well, not just that, but, like, the guy worked fucking hard. Yeah, he did. Yeah. And probably not the worst circumstances, because he is male and he is white. But, like Matthew said, he came from nothing. To have almost everything short yeah. of being the president. And he's getting his comeuppance now, so, <laughs> yeah, you know. that's absolutely true. And then, so, Arnold, I was surprised to learn that Pumping Iron actually came after Hercules in New York, which was Arnold's first film, which was released by a small distributor. He was dubbed over and then just forgotten until it just came back, just like Party at Kitty and Studs. Right, with Sylvester so Stallone's dick has, movie. Has anyone seen uh, Hercules in New York? Nope. Nope. I've seen it. Uh, not lately. Arnold Stang is his uh, sidekick in the movie, uh, and it's bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's probably why nobody has watched it, beyond the curiosity factor. Right? I would say Arnold Stang is just an intensely unappealing personality. Arnold Stang, like, he did the voice of... Uh, I can't remember. He did the voice of some car- cartoon character, and he's just, like, the, the quintessential, like, beta male, like, goofball. But it actually took... I'm Alpha. <laughs> <laughs> It actually took uh, not very long for Arnold's, like, personality to be featured on screen. And that was perfectly distilled in Commando. Which, I think the funny thing about Arnold Schwarzenegger is that there was never a period where he was really serious and then became a parody of himself. Mm. From the time that he appeared on screen, because he was so charismatic, and also so winking to the audience, letting them know it's okay to laugh with him, that it almost feels like a parody right from the get-go yeah but the weird thing is he never became bruce campbell either no i I mean he's like on some level you take him seriously Mm -hmm. i take him seriously in like the terminator Mm -hmm. like he has a little more gravitas than something like someone like bruce campbell yeah and in something like uh, conan the barbarian which was his breakout hit like you can understand what's so appealing about him Mm -hmm. that even he's making these goofy faces and making these goofy noises they are his and that's what we love about him. It's, I mean, it's all about authenticity, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's all about writing that line because you think of characters like, I don't know why I'm thinking of Tommy Wiseau, right? The thing about Tommy Wiseau that everyone enjoyed was that as ridiculous as the room is, it's completely authentic to what he was trying mm-hmm. to do. As soon as he stopped being authentic and trying to be more winky the way he is, it doesn't make sense anymore. Mm-hmm. And the same with, like, Bruce Campbell. Like, he's so hyper self-aware of what he's doing. Arnold's easy charm is just, like, yeah, this is the thing that I'm doing. I, I'm not trying to make it this way. I'm just, this is just how I do it, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I think there's a lot of elements that go into that. I think that in the case of something like Commando, it has a lot to do with the director who is taking this material deadly, deadly serious. serious. But I was watching it and wondering, is this supposed to be funny? Like when he's carrying the tree trunk? I mean, you know, that's and, that's and, supposed to be funny, right? And the fact that it's like, dun, 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 and then it cuts to like, yeah. Or, or like him and Alyssa Milano like sharing ice cream. Yeah, that has to be like one of the all-time greatest like yeah. openings to a film with him like literally like holding a huge tree trunk and then chopping it. And because the music makes you think it's going to go one way, as he chops and you can see he's so hardcore, he can like spot any glean of his axe, someone just coming up behind him. <laughs> and you're like, holy fuck, he's going to have to kill a guy with his axe. It's his daughter, Alyssa Milano. And he spins around and lifts her up and the music does that change. And then they're like feeding a deer. And <laughs> yeah, eating ice cream. I, yeah, I think Alyssa Milano, like, doesn't she like bump his ice cream into his face and <laughs> yeah, he laughs? Yeah. Like, I, like, this is a movie that I just like, I could talk about endlessly everything, everything about it. But there's certain beats that I just have to bring up. Like that opening, straight after that, that segment where he's like in the the uh, kitchen with Alyssa Milano and they're trying to have this like sense that he's just a family man now and he's sitting there reading Teen Beat <laughs> and he literally says to Alyssa Milano he's like you know why don't they just call him Girl George it would clean up a lot of the confusion <laughs> but then he puts the Teen Beat down and he says you know back when I lived in East Germany you wouldn't allow that sort of thing and you're like 
What's going on? Is <laughs> exactly. Is that is that still a funny line? I'm not sure. <laughs> is Arnold conservative or is he being liberal in this case? Uh, he's being liberal with the murders. Yeah. What he I is. what I do know is that he's a member of the Republican Party. I know, but he plays characters in his movie. Oh, of like course. Like John Matrix, who is the best man on the planet and cannot be defeated. Yeah, he just disappears into the role of John Matrix. <laughs> he he does, but I think that for me. It's another one of those examples of it. Arnie is kind of like, he's lifted not by the, only by the material, but it's by the other people who work with him. Mm. Because nothing can beat the antagonist of Commando. <laughs> mm. No, there is no greater antagonist. Oh, oh, the... the Vernon Wells. Vernon, Vernon Wells. Wells. Yes, Vernon Wells, who you may know as the enraged uh, homosexual, I guess, mm. from uh, Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior. <laughs> yes. um, and in Commando, he also plays an enraged homosexual. Uh. He appears in a string vest, and the entire movie is entirely about the love story between John Matrix <laughs> and Vernon Wells, whose name is just Bennett in this movie, I believe, mm-hmm. because it, it couldn't be more homoerotic when you really get down to it. And the movie ends with probably the most like easily coded thing I've ever seen, which is Bennett and Arnold Schwarzenegger are facing up against each other. Bennett has Alyssa Milano, and... Bennett is like, I don't need to go, John. I don't need to go. And he like, Arnold Schwarzenegger goes like, hey, Bennett, why don't you stick a knife in me? Which is basically like, <laughs> why don't we forget these women and have sex with each other? Which is entirely what it's about. Mm. And then the ending of the movie is literally Arnold Schwarzenegger thrusts a pipe into Bennett to kill him. You know, yeah. symbolizing, you know. Penetration. Penetration. So well, that's interesting because the relationship between Arnold and Ray Don Chong never really amounts to much. So I'll buy this theory. Yeah, I think I think that it's like probably the most like now I've seen uh, Tango and Cash. I've got to say, but I do think the Commando is the most homoerotic film of the 80s uh well tango and cash has a scene where kurt russell and sylvester stallone literally walk together naked and you see their like little asses next to each other that's true but i just don't think anything beats hey bennett why don't you stick a knife in me <laughs> fair enough uh so uh, commando it's like a trim 90 minutes uh not an ounce of fat on it no nope. uh, it moves it moves you it know it features my favorite 80s action movie trope which is everybody piles on to the hero and then he throws them all off like they were dolls i would say i think the movie peaks in the first 30 minutes you think so yeah well the first 30 minutes is so like non-stop yeah that Arnold is continually thrown in situations that you think are going to lead in one direction that he just escapes from instantly. Whether it be when the guy has the gun on him and he's like, we need to talk, and then he shoots him in the head. The yeah. plane escape is incredible. Don't bother my friend. He's dead tired. <laughs> yeah. This, this, I don't know whether this is actually the film where it became concrete, but this is the film that like it feels like the most concrete, platonic ideal of 80s action film Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Everyone he kills, he has a quip for. Mm-hmm. And those quips are like callbacks and everything else. Like when he kills the, you know, Sully and he's like, I said I would kill you last. And he's like, I lied. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like there's just so many like amazing people. I think people tend to go to the running man for the quips more than anything. But mm-hmm. for some reason, I think the running man is pushing that point of self parody. Yeah. Where I think it's so over the top mm-hmm. and it, from the nature of it's like, the future and stuff like that, that it doesn't have that purity that Commando has. Well, yeah, like Commando has a no frills B movie quality. Mm-hmm. Like later on, Arnold Schwarzenegger would go into these more like hundred million dollar sci-fi special effects movies. This one is just like pure, you know, fists and sweat. Yeah, cars blowing up yeah. and him killing a hundred guys. Oh, one of the things that I love, which is like he just like goes to like a random sporting goods store, pushes a button, and there's like a huge room full of like <laughs> rocket launchers and shit in the back. <laughs> the film is a perfect example of you just buying Arnie as this person. Like he has almost no backstory. And that all of this is just laid out and you go, oh yeah, yeah, look at how he looks yeah. and how he acts, of course. And he, he's very wooden in the film. I think he became a much better actor later, but he has strong presence. What's interesting about his screen presence is that you see in Pumping Iron that he is charismatic, but in his other films, you associate him with being kind of start and stop, difficulty with the English language. Very monosyllabic, very kind of, uh, you know, in this movie, like... It's kind of a monotone. Yeah, he has uh, a very monotone. But I think that works perfectly in his favor and is one of the reasons that he was such a huge star internationally mm. is that you could see in it something different than other English language performances that in Arnold, it was wrong. But in that wrongness, 
It feels so right. I wonder if this is also just the simplicity of the things that he was usually saying. You would always understand what, mm-hmm. if no matter where you were from, you'd get what Arnold was yeah. saying because it was like a basic sentence he was like saying, you know? There's also something to the idea that he was this kind of like perfect Reagan era hero where he was uh, a, a, a foreigner who had been able to come into America and rise up to the top of America, very kind of like Horatio Alger, pull yourself up by your bootstrap story, and also be totally integrated into america to the point where even though he's got an accent he plays characters like john matrix (laughs) you can see that just how he appears physically as well the idea that look how hard he worked Mm. that's why he has so many muscles Mm. and then you go oh yeah that is someone that i should respect but of course you know in real life he did steroids so like everything (laughs) about the american dream he's a little fake i believe he did them while they were legal though uh not but it's still well not that that's acceptable and also his argument was that um he only ever used them when he was trying to get his weight down while Mm. maintaining muscle mass rather than to build muscle mass, Mm. which is his kind of squirrel around the idea, which is like most people use steroids to build their muscle mass to what he was. He was only using to maintain them when he had to weight down because apparently I know a lot right, more. Th- Arnie defender th- I, that, here. That, that sounds a little too perfect, but okay. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I, I'm just establishing his his way okay. of telling it because his multiple Mr. Olympia defenses were often done like very short notice. Uh-huh. Like he just like suddenly like he'd be like I think for Conan, after Conan he had like seven months or something to get ready for Mr. Olympia. Do you know what I mean? So mm. it. That makes that. it okay, Will. So you <laughs> I actually drugs. don't defend the use the use of steroids whatsoever. Like I just I just don't know anything about the time. Mm-hmm. For all I know, everybody was using them. So looking at his filmography, what I found really surprising is the fact that like The Rock makes six movies a year, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And Arnold, it's actually pretty spaced out because after Conan, he made Conan the Destroyer, which is not good. Then The Terminator, which was great. Red Sonja, not good. Commando. Raw Deal, which I always associate the one that came way before, because in Raw Deal, they seem to not quite have figured out what to do with Arnie yet. And then Predator, which we're not going to talk about that because everybody has gone at lengths about it. Predator 2 is better. Um, It is not. (laughs) That is a very controversial opinion. The ending of Predator 2 is really good, but everything else about it is bad. The Running Man, Red Heat, and then Twins. And I always confused Red Heat and, and Raw Deal. Red Heat is the one with the Belush in it. Yeah. Uh, newly minted megastar, thanks to Twin Peaks. Yeah, the, the best Belush, now yeah. we've all agreed. <laughs> the interesting thing about Twins is it was actually Arnold's first $100 million hit. I mean, all of the movies he made in the 80s, well, not all of them, but a lot of the ones he made in the 80s were successful, you know, as kind of B action movies. But Twins was like the number five movie of the year or something. I think the reason for that is that since his stardom was minted it was the first time that he was kind of making fun of himself mm. stepping out of that mold that everybody knew him as and is like hey look he can make jokes too which has poisoned his brand since then yeah and so twins matthew you love this movie when you were a kid we watched it again you fell all in love all over again right i don't know if i would say i would fell in love all over again but what i would say is that it's like a perfect example of that type of what year is it 88 or something mm. it was actually yeah 88 like that era of just as we're just heading into the 90s and these like very like soft family films that were that were kind of really really strong and mm. popular in the 90s they were shit out <laughs> yeah yeah i mean a lot of them were definitely directed shit. by uh ivan reitman who the man behind yeah. evolution and my a super ex-girlfriend? Yeah, uh, just a hack. <laughs> a terrible film. A Canadian legend. <laughs> yes, a Canadian legend. Just It's just one of those films where you watch it and like the, the overriding aim of that movie is just to make you feel nice there's really it doesn't it's not trying to like really excite you it's not trying to like really like thrill you no big laughs no, it's like, not trying to make you laugh very hard i think you said it uh, best that during the 80s was a time where you know they didn't have to have jokes yeah they like the comedies were just so kind of like airy and they all had this dingy beige color yeah, yeah. palette and those this terror <laughs> these terrible like soundtracks which are just yeah. soaks up on the nose well like, so yeah. arnold in the film plays one of the twins who was created uh, through the sperm of six men that had sex with one woman all just, the Just same like time. Uh, Freddy Krueger. Like, <laughs> Freddy Krueger is the son of a thousand madmen, do you remember? Yeah. 
And um, that was that's crazy to begin a comedy with the idea that like six men's sperm were put into this sperm cocktail. As me and Matthew discussed, it was probably very difficult for all of them to climax at the same time, but they yeah. figured out a way. Why? Right, is- it's, it's, it's not the climax in cinema; it's the climaxing and high fiving each other at the same time. Well, there are, there are many uh, documentary films you can see on the internet about five men climaxing <laughs> at the same time. Uh, please contact so, Will Sloan. So it, it, like, it can be done. At, like actually at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> We're going into loose cannons territory here. Let's keep it clean, guys. I don't want any Andrew Dice Clay on this podcast. I don't know why this movie felt the need to like give us this backstory about why you know Arnold is the one twin and Danny DeVito is the other twin. Like all I need to know, like they could just say it was some weird genetic fuck up. Some some strange quirk of nature that they were twins. They uh, even show... I don't think you were really watching this movie. Though. <laughs> were... I I stopped watching it after halfway through because it was shit. So uh, sorry. Because um... so that that they, you can't say something like that because the point is the reason they set that up is yeah. is because it's established later on in the movie. You even reach the point where they go and see the doctor, right? And he says about how about uh, you're right. Daniel. I stopped watching to that at that point. <laughs> but me and you could talk because we watched it together. And now that I was... Crack- I saw enough to know that this is garbage. <laughs> we were cracking jokes a little bit. And then uh, you said, shh, shh, Justin, I need to enjoy this. <laughs> <laughs> Where, as we were talking before, the film is just terribly constructed. It's uh, like it's, gangsters and hitmen. It's, it's insanely constructed because obviously you have this initial setup, which is that they are, you know, twins and one was sent away to an orphanage and one was raised on an island. But then, and they're trying to meet each other. But then also, Danny DeVito is a car thief who's accidentally stolen a car that in- includes a MacGuffin, which a murderous hitman is after. But also, Danny DeVito owes a lot of money to a bunch of uh, loan sharks who frequent the restaurant his girlfriend works at. <laughs> um, meanwhile, they're also, uh, Danny DeVito and Arthur are also looking for their mother, um, who is also in a pitched battle with uh, real estate developers who want her artist colony. Ah, uh, yes. Um, so there's like 14 plots going on in this movie, and it feels like none of them really kick oh, off. Oh, you forgot a very important one. Arnold Schwarzenegger is a virgin, and he must fuck a woman. Uh, uh, not any woman. He must John Travolta's wife, Travolta. Kelly He must fuck John Travolta's wife. And I only say that because somehow Kelly Preston is still married to John Travolta. Well, of course, he's a, a, a heterosexual man who loves her. Why wouldn't she be married to him? Well, she looks great in this movie, I gotta yeah. tell you. I can yeah. see exactly why, um, uh, you know, a, a focus group picked her for <laughs> Dr. Volta. And the only reason that this film is enjoyable in any way for Matthew Kumar is the fact that Arnold is tall and Danny DeVito is short, and they yeah. kind of do the same things together. Are you guys That's... excited for the long-mooded triplets, uh, which would feature Eddie Murphy as the third? That movie will never exist. Uh, we questioned how that would play off when they reveal that there was a third son that was also born that they never heard about. You know what's funny? According to IMDb, that movie is in pre-production. That movie has been in pre-production forever. Yeah. Like, what, what, what I like to imagine that movie opening is that uh, Arnold and Danny DeVito are like looking at the picture of their six dads with their mom and they're like hey wait and they unfold part of the picture and there's just this black guy standing there and they're like wait we never noticed this black guy before yeah he uh, was one of the uh, they're like well you know if this makes sense sure memory erasing makes sense <laughs> yeah. no really this movie is you know an in-depth look at the duality of man yeah. like uh, reflected by the differences between you know Arnold Schwarzenegger is who is like represents like you know order and Danny Boo who represents chaos and not only is it about that it's also about the the differences between nature versus nurture because the idea is that the evil doctor's uh, position is that Danny Boo is the way he is is because he's made of all the garbage that was left over after uh, the perfect being Arnold Schwarzenegger was created where really like Arnold who is pure and good tries to uh, posit that it's all about the way in which Danny DeVito was raised which was like you know without ever truly being loved and didn't make him you know succeed I don't wow. think the movie underlines that point it that underlines Arnold... that point that, that's so beautiful I should <laughs> I should give this movie another chance the thing is this is the reason I'm putting this is, this is kind of an urtext of like uh, listen I'm nostalgic na- about it 90s no this is an urtext of like 90s family films because that's what all those movies are about about uh-huh. how like loving your family being with your family is like the most important thing you know like Mrs. Doubtfire and all this other th- all these and other Arnold Schwarzenegger would go to replicate that in his own life. Yeah. <laughs> Loving your family. And... The point I'm making is that this is like, this is a, a, a frippery. Like it's not, there's nothing like deep or special yeah. about it, but it's exactly what the, the object that it's supposed to be. Do you know what I mean? Which yeah. is like, 
silly, uh, like throwaway nonsense that just makes you feel sort of nice because, and part of the reason it makes you feel nice is because Arnold Schwarzenegger's charm comes out in it. But like he's what he's like he's a he's a tentpole of it, and it's it, I think the same in Commando and the same in his other films. It's like he's he's lifted up by the cast members he's in it, in it with. You know, mm. like they can they do the groundwork and he just appears. Well, Danny DeVito is very committed in the you film. You know, like. Mm. It's like Arnold Schwarzenegger appears, is effortlessly charming in his his weird way, and the rest of the film like lifts him up. Twins. It's a beautiful film. <laughs> Did has anyone seen the uh, second in the Arnold Schwarzenegger sperm cocktail duology, <laughs> Junior? Not yes. since I was scarred as a kid. <laughs> yes, I have. I only watched that a couple of years ago. And if you want me to tell you about a movie that's fucking beautiful, Junior is it. <laughs> Now, you're going to say... Oh, man, Will's face while you're talking. <laughs> no, amazing. no, I want this. Now, you guys are going to say to me, you guys are crazy, right? Oh, I haven't or, seen I'm, it in ages. I, I, I remember seeing it as a child and yeah. not liking it. Here's the thing I'm going to put, I'm going to pause it to you, right? Uh-huh. I think that a junior is actually Arnold at his very best. Now, you might be say, how can that be true? There's so many good things Arnold is good in. Because part of this movie is about how Arnold is secretly pregnant. And he's also falling in love with British actress Emma Thompson. Now, the thing is that Emma Thompson is, is you know, a famous comedy actress. She was in, like, Footlights and stuff, Stephen Fry and that. So she has a strong comedy background. And she's also sort of awkward and charming. So somehow her and Arnold create this unbelievably, like, adorable sort of, like, meet-cute, do you know what I mean? And this, and this idea of them being awkward with each other. Like, Arnold's this big, muscular, like, guy. You see him vulnerable in a way that you've never seen him before, as wow. he's falling in love with Emma Thompson. There's a part where they're like, I can't remember, they like start kissing and they like, because he's a big muscular man, they like fall over the couch and the couch falls over. It's just adorable. I loved it. The movie is 10 out of 10. Apart from probably one thing, which we wouldn't really get away with now, which is when he's heavily pregnant, they have to dress him up like an Eastern European uh, shot putter, a uh, female shot putter. Yeah, and send I remember it. To um, a, like a, a, like I guess a house where you send women who are heavily pregnant. Mm-hmm. And that part's a little iffy nowadays. But so, so wait, what's 10. your major defense of Kindergarten Cop? It's a funny do, movie. Do I fucking need to defend Kindergarten Cop? <laughs> Kindergarten Cop's just fucking brilliant. That's another uh, film do rightman, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Junior, kindergarten cop, twins. You know, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is a guy who is very brand conscious. Um, and I just think it's really interesting that he did all these action movies. And then he was like, okay, the next step of my evolution will have be ha- this bifurcated career between big sci-fi influenced special effects blockbusters and like comedies that are that hinge upon my image of being like a muscle man and an action star. And... What I find funny is the idea of a pregnant man. <laughs> like, you get a real insight into what he thinks is funny by his choices in this era. A pregnant man is not funny, Will. That movie's about love and family. <laughs> I agree and with you. Fatherhood. I don't think Just that Arnie was finding it funny. I think Arnie, uh, Reitman, uh, DeVito, they were all in it to tell an important story about, you know, fatherhood and friendship and families. Well, my only rebuttal to that is I remember that there's a passage in Arnold Schwarzenegger's recent autobiography uh, in which he states that one of the first things he asks people when they're pitching a, pro- a project is, what does the poster look like? What are we selling? And the poster for Junior features uh, Arnold with uh, a rotund stomach <laughs> to symbolize his pregnancy, Danny DeVito with a stethoscope at the stomach, and Arnold uh, looking at the viewer like, Duh? But wait. So I think he finds it funny. Emma Thompson also in that uh, poster? Like, yeah, behind them. Ah, see, I think that Arnold said, is, is Emma Thompson in this poster because the love story is so key to me? <laughs> the love story is so key to me. Yeah. Coming those soon lines. from Pop Matters, Junior by Matthew Kumar. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, I'm a defender of The Last Action Hero. I think it's a mess of a movie that's really funny. Yeah, yeah. so good. And a, I, a loose remake of The Purple Rose of Cairo. I think people reacted to it pretty violently because it was making fun of the movies that they like. They will take a level of parody but not outright as the kind of skeleton of a film. And also just because it was one of those movies that was like really overhyped in the months before mm-hmm. it came out. It was going to save a studio yeah. for Peter Gruber. And it also opened against Jurassic Park. Mm. Yeah, I, I remember that's, that's a, a beautiful summer for me. I remember that summer going to see Jurassic Park, going to see Last Action Hero. Super Mario Brothers. Yeah, I think I must have seen that that summer as well. Wow, what a summer. I mean, what a summer, you know? Mm. And Last Action Hero, I think one of the most fascinating things about Last Action Hero 
is that every adult who sees it complains about the fact that it has a kid in it and how annoying it is. And I was a young kid, like younger than the, the star, the kid who's in it. And I remember also being like, why the fuck is this kid in this movie? <laughs> like, because it's one of those classic examples that Hollywood always forgets, which is kids don't want to see kids. Yeah. They want to see adults that they can aspire to be. Yeah, like Will said at the beginning of this episode, that the idea of something adult is very intoxicating to a child. Yeah. So if they had made that like as a PG-13 film that starred Arnold and, I don't know, someone his age, it would have probably been easier for adults to enjoy, and kids would love it as well. Yeah, like... I mean, it's also a mess with a cartoon cat played by Danny DeVito. Yeah, well, do you know what? Uh, I still want to see the Cartoon Cat spinoff. <laughs> I'm sure that's, you know, in pre-production on IMDb. So okay. after, so True Lies was the movie that brought him back after that. Haven't seen it in a while. It's probably aged poorly. Oh, wow, it's my age aged, aged so badly. First of all, he, uh, like, abuses... He's a psychopath. He's a psychopath who <laughs> essentially abuses his wife yeah. for a long period of the film. And then the bad guys are, like, could not be more racist. Right. Like... <laughs> He's been in some... Pretty... And also, Tom Arnold has an alarming amount of screen time in that film. Yeah, I mean, you can't strike gold twice with the Belushi and then Tom yeah. Arnold. I mean, like... And, and then after that, I would say Arnold's career was a, a downward trajectory. Uh, Eraser made some money, but Batman and Robin, for which I think he uh, had the record at the time for the most amount of money paid so per minute. $50 million, I believe. Yeah, and he had 30 minutes of screen time in the movie. Uh, that was obviously a, a failure. And then there was that run of movies, End of Days, The Sixth Day, Collateral Damage. Oh, one it, of the worst films that it, Arnold has been involved with. It was just like the air coming out of a balloon. I, I mean, it was. I think the only one of those that I can really go back for actually is End of Days. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love End of Days. Because it's hilarious to watch Arnold... For some reason, in that movie, he's like, I'm going to act. Because he plays like a, a guy whose daughter died or something. So seeing him like as like a grizzled cop looking at a picture of his dead daughter like trying to make tears come out of his face it's pretty funny well I think The Sixth Day is funny I haven't seen it since it came out oh, it's a, lots of cloned Arnold's right? yeah, yeah. well the, that was a movie so it came out in 2000 and it was set in 2010 and it was one of those movies that was inspired by when they cloned that sheep in the 90s yeah in Scotland yeah in oh congratulations yeah Dolly the Sheep <laughs> that was her name Dolly yeah. um, so, so already that's hilariously dated when you see it but also it's the opening scene of the movie takes place at the xfl which you might remember was vince mcmahon's attempt to combine football and wrestling wow, that is so much that's what a time cap was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um i mean did the xfl only last for like half one a year season? yeah, yeah like, that's it yeah so so it's set in 2010 though yeah and since then, Arnold has basically just parodied himself for a long time well, he became, until he became governor. Yeah, he became the governor. And then... For two uh, terms! For two terms. Yeah, I think he ended on something like a 20% approval rating. So things things didn't quite work out for him. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the, the sex scandal in his personal life. And recently he's had a run of movies, none of which have been financially successful. None. Except and, The Expendables. And I've actually only seen one of them. The only one I've actually seen is uh, the first one that he came the back Last with. The Last Stand? The Last Stand, which is actually I think it's very, very solid. Very, very solid. solid. I mean, it helps that Kim Ji... Uh, Kim Ji-woon directed it. Uh, yeah. A good B movie. And, uh, you know, Escape Plan, I think, is, you know, pretty... Forgettable. Pretty tepid. I remember seeing Escape Plan and thinking that it takes a lot of audacity to put this in a theater and just expect we'll be grateful for it. Mm -hmm. you know? Sylvester Stallone and Arnold together at last. Yeah, but, but like not even close to the level that they were at in the 80s. It's a movie that has this like strong sense of entitlement around it. Well, his, Arnold's knee-jerk <laughs> reaction after all of these so-called uh, blockbusters came out and audiences didn't flock to the theater was to go serious with mm -hmm. films like David Ayer's Sabotage, which he starred in. Which I watched half of, fell asleep, never returned to. Uh, the zombie film that he was in, Maggie. Which I thought was perfectly serviceable. Yeah, I heard that was okay. Yeah. And the, his last film to come out went to VOD Aftermath. Well, I think that Arnold Schwarzenegger is actually very good in most of these movies. He's acquired a certain gravitas... From wrinkles. Yeah, from wrinkles. And like even in in The Last Stand, like he brings so much baggage uh with his career and with, you know, what he represents. Um, that like there's a scene at the end of the movie where, you know, he's he's tired and worn out from fighting the bad guy, and the bad guy says to him, Who are you? And he goes, I'm the sheriff. And that in the context of that movie, that line carries a lot of weight because not like not only are you thinking about him in the movie, but you're thinking about like what he represents as this guy who like 
you know, came from overseas and, and like won the American dream and he's like a fully assimilated American. Yeah, that's how I feel about his role in Around the World in 80 Days. A when he's beautiful in film. That, uh, bathtub. It really represents what the American dream can be. Do you achieve. know who else is in this bathtub? U.S. President <laughs> Rutherford B. Hayes. I mean, one of the things, though, is that Arnold is, like, 70 now. Yeah, he's old. Like and he's, he's lived nine lives. He's old, mm-hmm. and it's like... I know that, to some extent, it's, impo- it's hard to let yourself not be relevant anymore. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's one of those things where it's like, he's given us so much. Can yeah. he just rest? Because as, as we said, the, after True Lies, the writing was essentially on the wall. You know, like, it's kind of like, he was done. He went into politics. Now, we can talk about his politics a little bit. He's always been kind of a Republican character, but looking a bit like, as left-leaning as that can possibly get. He's, you know? he's uh, very involved in environmental initiatives. Yeah. Currently, he's involved in an initiative to stop gerrymandering. And, and I kind of think that those are the things, like, along with his, like, he's always had an interest in, in physical fitness for children and all that. Mm-hmm. Those are kind of the things that he should just do now. You know, just turn into that Jimmy Carter, elder statesman type mm-hmm. and and stop trying to, like, force it, you know? I, he can't, though. He's a man I know he, I know he can. It's the same as fucking uh, Stallone. Like, yeah. just, just let it go. Well, I don't know. Like, I actually am interested to see him... Like, I think he's become a good actor. Like, he can appear in, like, a Paul Thomas Anderson I'd, I'd like to see like him that. in a good movie. I mean, it's too bad that all of these movies that he's done, you know, with the possible exception of The Last Stand, have been bad. But I think he's been good in them, and I'd like to see him get the right material well, and yeah. get it out of the park. I mean, I agree. Like, if if you're, if Wes Anderson or Paul Thomas Anderson yeah. or another Anderson was, like, <laughs> uh, WSN, Paul WS Anderson. <laughs> no, I do not want him appearing. No, I, I don't want him one of those. WS Anderson uh, Like, uh, was, like appear in my film just like in this role do you know what i mean yeah. like rather than it building being built around him yeah i think there's a lot of opportunity but like but who gonna, he is he can't do he can't that do, right he can't yeah. do it you know like it's just i mean i mean i love arnie but if his legacy actually was fixing gerrymandering and like that was his true legacy that'd be better to me do you know what i mean well i'm just waiting for the next season of the celebrity apprentice uh hosted by arnold schwarzenegger <laughs> i think that will be his true legacy oh, i forgot all about that yeah. yeah that's actually really depressing to think about <laughs> you know the, the conceptually that show didn't make sense because like okay the apprentice donald trump he is a like a real estate mogul I can, with a lot of business interests it makes sense that he would hire somebody on the show to handle a company what are Arnold Schwarzenegger's business interests? The thing is, you say the Trump thing makes sense, but like obviously Trump is a it's terrible, bad. is a terrible business. Well, we know we know he's a clown, but we also know that like he is a guy with his name on a lot of businesses. So it, like the whole purpose of The Apprentice, ostensibly in that first season, was that whoever won this would handle a Trump business. Well, I believe that I knew, I could be wrong. Somebody could write and correct me. I believe that Schwarzenegger actually owns a lot of gems and has interests in uh, bodybuilding stuff okay. because he's always been. The funny thing is, is that we talked about pumping iron at the beginning, right? But two two bodybuilding enthusiasts, which is not a sport I understand on any level, because no. when you watch pumping iron. What you do is you grease up and you just pose a bunch of times and then a bunch of guys look at you. It just a bunch doesn't... of old guys, yeah. like, right out score. God just... knows what their criteria is because they all look the same to <laughs> yeah. me. Well, it is symmetry and, and everything else. Right. Like and, and It's like um, any sport, right? Like, the, you can't defend what they're doing or the choices <laughs> they make. But I, my understanding is that he's, he's, to a bodybuilding enthusiast, like, Arnold is, like, a, 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 a totemic figure in that world. Mm. Even now, you know, he has so much... So it's possible, like, related to that sort of thing. Mm. Like, uh, he runs the Arnold Classic as well, which is a bodybuilding uh, and sports competition. I think it's also what we mentioned before, the idea that Arnold came from nothing and made something of himself. Yeah. So the idea that he would be kind of trying to... I don't know why we're defending the celebrity apprentice, but... Something that Will said earlier I thought was really interesting about how Arnold's decisions with all his, um, you know, his success as an action star was to go into, like, family films. And one of the most interesting things about our modern era of muscle-bound action stars, like The Rock, for example, is it felt like they tried to rush that. So you look at, like, The Rock, for example, he went through this long period of being like terrible like not even like Arnold quality like the Disney, Tooth Fairy Disney the films. Game Plan like, and that's like one of the first things he like tried to do mm. and it just doesn't work like it's interesting how like Ar- Arnold for up until we say the, the mid to late 90s he was sort of always in the right place at the right time which was another aspect of his his career mm-hmm. I mean The Rock makes terrible terrible choices. decisions you Ugh. know and, and The Rock, but the, the interesting, the reason The Rock is successful is he also has that easy charm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that he's not just a big muscle-bound 
idiot, you know? Like, he's, like, a guy who's just, like, charming on screen, and he can also, like, you know... Soon to be our next president. Uh, <laughs> at this point, you know, yeah. maybe I'll take him. I mean, he actually is American, so he can be president, which is one of the interesting things. I wouldn't be surprised. All right, so you can send letters, questions, comments, and point cinema club podcast at gmail.com. And what are we doing next week? Uh, we will be discussing uh, the career of Roger Ebert. This will be the second time that we've tackled a critic on this podcast. What does Roger Ebert mean and why? The most influential critic in to ever live. What does it mean to be the most influential critic who ever lived? These are the kinds of questions we'll address. And we'll be discussing two films relevant to Mr. Ebert. One, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, which the Pulitzer Prize winning critic wrote. And Blue Velvet, one of the films that he hated. Mm-hmm. And I think it's two perfect examples of his personality that were kind of forgotten when people talk about Roger Ebert. Yeah. Other than the fact that when Ebert would publish a horror movie review, it's easy to go, well, he wrote Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. How can he be offended by this? Right. All right. Well, thank you very much, Matthew Kumar. Thanks very much. For intimidating us on the podcast. And remember, everybody, if twins. there's one thing you take away from the Important Cinema Club this week, it's Watch Junior. Right. Oh, God. Thanks for not calling me racist this time. <laughs> There's still time. So, we're a few days into the Toronto International Film Festival. All the stars are out to shine. Uh, Clooney, Damon, all your favorites, all my close personal friends. Justin is accredited uh, as, a, as a press and industry big shot this year. I'm not. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to ask you, what are some of the, what the, some hi- of the highlights? The highlights of this? Yeah, like you're, you're our lights camera, Jackson. What are some <laughs> of the... I saw I, Tanya, the film about Tanya Harding, the figure skater who supposedly engineered um, someone to break the legs of her competitor. Break the kneecaps, let's be specific. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what the film is, is kind of a bubblegum Martin Scorsese take on it with a little bit of Coen Brothers with Margot Robbie giving a, she's going to be nominated for an Oscar without a doubt, performance that is engineered to get sympathy from the audience to this person who is just a late night punchline. Mm-hmm. You also saw uh, one of my most anticipated films of the year, Le Redoutable, yes. the Jean-Luc Godard biopic from the director of The Artist. <laughs> when I asked if Will was going to see it, he said, no, I will watch it on Netflix when it comes <laughs> out. Uh, it is not good. You, uh, you kind of liked I it. I kind of liked it. it. It's like a dumb listen-up film, is what <laughs> I called it, uh, which is a film completely engineered to just make Jean-Luc Godard look like a giant buffoon for... 90 minutes and it has, who has nothing to say it has definitely I think offended uh, yes. certain people in the critical community well I saw Jonathan Rosenbaum in the audience with me and I was like why is he here what, he's he, gonna fucking hate this movie yeah uh, you uh, in fact this is the main reason I wanted to bring up Tiff is because you met uh, perhaps the favorite critic of this podcast Mr. Jonathan Rosenbaum yep. on the street uh, he was actually in the lobby he was on his phone and I just looked over saw he was there and I went, excuse me, are you Mr. Jonathan Rosenbaum? And he looked up at me, was panic in his eyes, as if I, he thought I was going to serve him papers or something like that. <laughs> and he went, oh, yeah, well, um, uh, I said, I really enjoy your work. Thank you. And I just walked away. Well, that's nice. Um, I'm, you made an old man happy. <laughs> Probably. Uh, I didn't know why he was there, considering he writes for no websites or... He's probably a programmer somewhere, right? You Mm. said he cut his hair. No, I said he did not cut his hair. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) That it's still stringy and down to his shoulders. Well, Jonathan, if you're listening to this, consider just a a tighter cut. Uh, And also come on the podcast. (laughs) And Matthew, who's sitting here silently stroking his beard, because he's only seen Midnight Madness films, we did get a chance to see Bodied. But we're actually going to talk about that on our Patreon episode, uh, which is going to be about director Joseph Kahn, the auteur behind uh, Torque, Detention, and all the popular Taylor Swift music videos. Torque. 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 <laughs> Matthew is Torque. a big Torque, Torque. fan. Torque. 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 It's funny how the word loses all meaning when you hear it ten times. <laughs> Torque has meaning? And uh, will I see more filled at the festival? Probably a few. I'm going to see the new John Woo. I'm very excited for that. Oh, I did see the new John oh, Woo. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot about that. So our opening night. Almost mm. missed our friend's first Midnight Madness. <laughs> and it is... It's called Manhunt. And I heard uh, from a few people that John Woo didn't come to the festival. And the reason for that is he's very sick. Well, that's and terrible. that, like, he thinks he's going to die, and that most people believe that this is his last film. 
And if it's the last film to go on, oh boy, because it is the wooiest film that ever wooed, showing uh, stylistic ticks that he hasn't used since like the 90s, random freeze frame, a like jazz fusion score, and even, you know, a little bit of balletic uh, bullet action near the end. Wow, everything you've just said, like, I just feel so emotional now. (laughs) Really? Yeah. The idea that John Woo won't be there anymore. Yeah, and, and that if, if this is his last film, that he went out on, you know, on this. It feels like the work of a man who knows this is the last thing he will ever do. Wow. There's not a second spared, but in the process of putting this out, it's easy to openly ridicule. Because the things that make John Woo, Woo, are goofy as fuck. Okay. So when you have them all stacked on top of each other, like, it's super fun but also incredibly crazy. Well, he's a great man, a great filmmaker, and I encourage our listeners to keep him in their thoughts and prayers. Hopefully he will make more movies. I encourage John Woo to continue to be alive. How can John Woo fucking die without making a goddamn musical? I I just want to say that, like... The musical. I I just feel like everyone that I like is 70 years old or older, um, and I feel like this year and last year in particular I've just had one really painful death after another, and it's it's only going to get worse. Until you're going to be just numb. And you don't care anymore. Well, until like everyone I like is is dead, and then you know all you lock the doors all, and never come out. All that's left are like you know the mediocrities of today. <laughs> you sound like Peter Bogdanovich. <laughs> well, sorry. What are you gonna say? Um, actually, I have a question for you, Will. Sure. Um, Whoa. one of the weird things that I that I sort of find myself doing sort of unintentionally is people that I love, there's usually like one or two works of theirs that I've never seen mm. because I almost like just like hold it so there's always something more that they did. Do you do, or, or have you, for example, have you seen everything Jerry Lewis has done? Do you know? No, and in fact, like that's an example. I've seen like all the things he's done that are good. Yeah. Uh, but there are ones that I haven't seen. I, I, I mean, I know that I have done that intentionally, like held off on certain things, but it's not something I make a habit of because I'm always aware that if it's somebody like, say for example, Jerry Lewis, who has a very long career mm-hmm. uh and a very complicated career i always know that even if like i'm gonna revisit something that i haven't seen in 10 years like it, it's constantly replenishing mm. itself mm. yeah there's always different ways to approach it yeah. yeah i mean that's one of the things that, like i sort of feel sort of sometimes sort of unintentionally sort of almost mm. unintentionally I, I sort of like just leave one and don't see it but at the same time like even when these people like leave us like they have this body of work that it's just often it's just so pleasurable to just keep revisiting, you know? Like, yeah, I mean, I, there are certain things that I feel a little bittersweet about, like the fact that, you know, I, I grew up loving Monty Python, uh, and I've seen every episode of Monty Python five times at least. I, I've seen every, you know, I've listened to every album, I've listened to, I've seen every movie, and I know that I've basically used up Monty Python. Mm. And, like, I can't watch the Dead Parrot sketch and really get much out of it yeah. anymore. So I feel I feel a little sad about that. Hmm. Maybe one day it'll be a hit on the head and you'll lose all your memory and you can watch it anew again. There are definitely, I'm sure you feel this way, a lot of, a lot of things where you look at it and you're like, I wish I could watch this for the first time again. Hmm. Even for me, those things have been kind of like warm blankets that I can still go and revisit. Because, like, like a John Woo, for example, like Hard Boiled, I hadn't watched it for, like, almost a decade since we watched it in theaters because I know it so well. Mm-hmm. But I know it's there mm-hmm. if I need to go back to it. Yeah, Monty Python and the Holy Grail is a movie that I'm kind of halfway through a 10-year, like, drought on it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I want to wait 10 years before seeing it again. This is when you will watch it with your children and you will discover it anew and they will hate it. And you'll be like, why don't you find this funny? Yep. <laughs> you know who loves Jerry Lewis? Uh, Jean-Luc Godard in that Hidutab movie. Oh, he says, nice. You know, the only good comedians are the Marx Brothers and Jerry Lewis. Well, I often think of the thing that he said on the Dick Cavett show when Dick Cavett asked him, uh, do you find Jerry Lewis funny? He said, oh, yes. Even when he's not funny, he's more funny. 